HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from way. It was pretty much on time today. Yeah, we were, you know, we're, in a... we're waiting for our theoretical Phil. special guest, yeah. Phil Bravo, but he's late. Only Phil. There's Phil Bravo. He's oh staring God. around like he doesn't know what a studio looks like. <laughs> the man teaches recorder and triangle to children and doesn't know where a sound booth is. Makes no sense. He'll be in here in a minute. Uh, joined as usual with Nastasia the Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah getting ready for the Thanksgiving. We should talk about our sale. We will. We got Matt back in the booth. How you doing? I'm great. Yeah. Yeah. Where were you last week? Were you having fun or not having fun? Uh, oh, I was at jury duty. I was having fun. Yeah. Ooh, jury duty. So jury duty. They sent me a notice to my wrong address and then said they were going to throw me in jail. But here's the hilarious thing. Uh, I just got it. It was like super late. Here's the hilarious thing. They're supposed to get their jury stuff from voter records, right? Yeah. Well, my voter records are at my current address, so, you know, one ass doesn't know what the other elbow is doing. Well, with me, they actually managed to do it the other way. They somehow found me, even though I had not yet updated my voter registration. They yeah. found me and sent me a thing. So, you know, sometimes they get it right. Were you chosen? I was not chosen. Nothing interesting happened. It was like my own private library. It was a great day. I just worked. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about... Uh, something about it just like I, I was on a jury once but sitting in that waiting room is just I don't know man I, I mean know. I want I want to be selected 
for like a very limited run trial. I don't want to be there for weeks, obviously. But. Yeah. Well, I was once selected for one that they, they tell you when you go to jury duty that you need to schedule, I forget, X number of weeks, like two or three weeks. That's basically like the thing. And so then if you can't do that, they're like, well, then don't even come to jury duty. Get it postponed. So I went and the judge was like, once the trade judge was like, this trial is going to last for three weeks. I was like, oh, you said two. You said two. And the third week I'll be in China. This was years ago. Oh, wow. And they were like, get out, you jerk, you jamoke. <laughs> but Lord, get out of here. I mean, so I'm paraphrasing slightly. Let's but, say. And then how long do they let you? They, they promised me I would not get called until eight years from now. Yeah. Well, it's a funny thing. I got to look back. Jerk. The last time I, I served on a jury that, you know, went to verdict I was the foreman, in fact, Matt. Why? You're so important. Uh, it's alphabetical order. And uh, <laughs> they didn't let us choose. And uh, there was no Amoldsons there that could beat me out on the, on the Arnold, so. Yeah, you will always be the foreman. Mm, well, until, you know, Barney Amoldsons is there, and then, <laughs> then I'm host. I tell you, being foreman has its privileges, you know. Anyway, uh, so now we are joined in the studio by... Phil Bravo! How you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing, dude? Uh, snap! All right, listen. I need you to use that sweet, sweet voice, Phil, to tell people about the Booker and Dax Black Friday holiday sale. <laughs> yes, Phil, go. Have you heard about the Booker and Dax Black Friday sale? Dave, is it crazy? It is bananas, Phil! <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S, Bananas Dave? Like, what was it? How does the Grinch say it? Uh, oh, uh, with, a, with a greasy black peel. With a greasy black with peel? With a greasy black peel. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you were late, so we made fun of you teaching recorder and triangle to small children. Yeah, that was what I was very busy doing. Uh, I was on the train just giving out recorders to people to brighten up uh, everyone's he, commute. He brought out the recorder, and then the two-year-old at the party was just blowing it all over. Uh, the recorder is a terrible That came out as you expected. The rec- the, oh, oh, family. Oh, yeah, it, also we can't curse. Mm. Yeah, the, record, the recorder enough. is uh, possibly the worst instrument of all time. Uh, I mean, exactly, which is why I go around giving it to children, just, you know, spreading music. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like, I got some good news and I got some bad news. It makes a terrible sound, but it can only make one sound at a time. That's the good news. The thing is... It's uh, not the, polyphonous. The two-year-old was able to make quite a good sound by, like, he had, like, half of it In entirely yeah. uh, just swallowed at that moment. And still, you know... It's like covering some of the holes. Like, like exactly. Yeah. And so you just like just. <laughs> How do you make noise with a noise when the whistle part is covered? Whatever that's called. Found, there. You know, life finds a way. Yeah. Yeah. What's that called in technical jargon? That little whistly cutout in the front, or at the mouth part. I think it's whistly cutout. Whistly mouth cutout part. part, <laughs> mouth yeah. part. Yeah. 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 You ever you ever made a? Uh, do you know that you can take young moosewood saplings, which is a striped maple, in in spring, cut them. Hit them with the back of your camping knife to free the to free the bark. Then push the wood out of the bark, leaving the bark as a straight tube. Then cut a notch into it and pull it back and make a slide whistle out of it. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's well, well, in the Northeast in the 30s and 40s, it was a thing and might have been a thing all the way up into the 50s. But if you are a connoisseur of 19, let's say, let's say like 1890 to like 1950 American tree and forestry stuff, 
then if you just happen to be yeah or you know if you read all of the works of harlow for instance of which there are probably only like five so it's easy to get them all like there you're multiple instructions on how to build you a slide whistle out of a out of a, a moose wood set. doesn't it only do one thing yep. beep, yeah, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. can you play it though like yeah, it's like a sad trombone all the time. Well, it's like a happy on crack trombone. It is true. And also, if you have, do you know that if you have a drill and a parsnip, you can also have your own recorder? I would like to hear about this. This is food related. <laughs> this is food related. Finally. Yeah, finally. Yeah, so give me some. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. You just need a long drill bit. You go right down the middle. You can do make your own little whistly bit in the in the top. If you use the top joint of a recorder, it's cheating a little bit. That's cheating a lot. Um, yeah. Don't, why parsnip and not like carrot? Well, I mean, is a parsnip softer? Do you have to soak it in water first? Literally, you could do a carrot or a parsnip. I just think the, parsnip, think the parsnip, uh, parsnip has a little bit more character. Yeah. What about the tone? Uh, exactly, it's a little bit of a woodier so, tone. Well, oh, I said with no no data to back that. <laughs> yeah, uh, so like it wouldn't work on something that's entirely water without a lot of structure, like not a daikon. I think a daikon would be like as as uh, soft as you'd go. I think a, even a potato would fall apart pretty quick. Yeah. Also, like there is more kind of lignified crap on the inside of a carrot. Or a parsnip, which is, let's face it, a non-orange fakey carrot. It's true. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. What What's about, the difference between a, part, uh, a parsnip and a carrot? I mean, they're different, but, I mean, like, if someone was like... Uh, they're unless, not as sweet, right? What? No, they are. Parsnip. Parsnips Carrots are, much, are sweet. Carrots yeah. are sweet. But parsnips parsnip. are like a roasted parsnip. Mm. I like a roasted parsnip, but I'm saying We're it's kind season. of like a bunk carrot. I, that's nonsense. This is nonsense. I mean, I like parsnips a lot. I cook parsnips. You know what my... Uh, this is not related at all, but you know what I like a lot, but I don't like as leftovers? Uh, all of the stock uh, of the amazing Black Friday sale. Oh, uh, <laughs> bringing it back, Phil. No Pell. leftovers for you. Rutabagas. Rutabagas. All right. I love rutabagas. I don't think I could pick a rutabaga out of a lineup. They they're kind of look like waxy Charlie Brown heads. With a little bit of, right? Stop, is he really Can I right? get one of them uh, waxy uh, Charlie Brown heads? Yeah, yeah. yeah if, you're, if you're in the supermarket and you see a waxy Charlie Brown head, odds are that's a rutabaga. If you're an English person, a Swede. For some reason, the English call them or Swedes. A Swede. They call them Swedes. They call them a Swede. Who knows a why? Is but a Swede? A Swede, yeah, a Swede. But they're real waxy on the outside, so you cut off the wax, and they're great steamed. But, like, the next day, I never like them as much. I mean, like, maybe if you mash them and put them in a soup, they're fine the next day. But if you just have, like, like let's say you're doing a prep where you, I don't know if you know this, uh, if, you know, for those of you that, like, only cook at home. But, you know, in general, like, you, you, you'll, pre, you'll par cook or fully cook your veg and then reassemble and finish at the fire, right? So, like, I don't like, like, par cooked, steamed, freaking rutabaga the next day. I mean, who does, Dave? I mean, I don't know. Maybe many people. Swedes, perhaps. Perhaps a Swede. I don't know. But I think that the rutabaga is a deli- I'd be more people should cook with rutabagas. They are delicious, and I like the word. Brought to you by the Rutabaga Council. Rutabaga. Okay, say say rutabaga with a serious voice. Listen. Rutabaga. Oh, see, Nastas, <laughs> don't you want to eat that? Yeah. A waxy Charlie Brown head. So what, what is this in this bag here? This We're going. Wait, wait, let's wait. Let's finish our Black Friday crap. So, Nastasia Lopez and I went to China uh, a couple of weeks ago, China, and uh, we had some good word. We visited the factory that makes the, the spinzols, and we have a new agent, right, uh, over there, 
and uh, which at the New Age is not related. We visited the factory, and Nastasia has never been to China before. So I was there. I was like, listen, just, you know, I'm going to turn this lady loose on you. Nastasia's like, poof, poof, bang, uh, ah, And, uh... And they were like, okay, 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 okay. We'll lower the prices on future, <laughs> on future spinzols. Uh, so we were able to bring the price of the spinzol down based on our future, and assuming, of course, that the tariff gets lifted, which you know who knows. But like, bring the cost of future stuff down so that we're off, uh, able to now offer the spinzol for the low, low price. Phil, he doesn't know. I don't think. <laughs> I think a Oh, I did know. Oh, okay. Four ninety nine. That's right. Yes. Was if you if we have a YouTube. So Nastasia, we're like we're gonna do a YouTube video about it about the sale. We also did some infomercials. I haven't cut them together yet. Yes, but this video was my idea. What the whole thing? What that's, the that's crazy. So she not being from New York, so she has no idea what she's talking about, right? And don't don't shake your head, Miami man. Like she. He, I watch enough Seinfeld to know. So right. Crazy Eddie, you grew up <laughs> yeah. as Crazy Eddie because we were doing a bunch of Billy May style stuff, which we haven't done yet. But this is like Crazy Eddie was a guy. He went to jail for some kind of a fraud, but he used to put on like the goofy sweater and start screaming that his prices were insane and throwing stuff around. It was like a it was like a, a kind of a local PC Richards, which then on Seinfeld became I'm the Wiz. Oh, the Wiz is an actual thing, too. The Wiz is also a thing? The Wiz is a thing. Yeah. All right, I'm from Florida. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the Wiz was Discount New York. The Wiz, the Wiz discount store, also like kind of a local PC Richards, I never went to it, was, uh, didn't have a, it had a, a like a, an over-the-top kind of voiceover stitch, but not like a face, like not a singular Crazy Edward in the way that Crazy Eddie was a guy. Or in the way that, for instance, Dr. Zizmore was a guy on the New York City subways. For those of you that, you know, I told you, uh, Dr. Zizmore's daughter became a food writer bloggist, at least for a while. And she came to interview. Her, she said her last name is Zizmore. And we're like, whoa, 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 What? <laughs> she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, the Zizmore? Dr. Z? And she's like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Anyone who was alive during that time period, which lasted up until like probably 2014. Was, probably. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in New York for that. Yeah. Uh, he must have retired or something. I don't know. I don't know. But the man had impeccable skin. So he had, like they had, he also had all these commercials where where like they'd have these random and it's like only in New York do you get this kind of person like the person who's like kind of doesn't want to be on camera is kind of looking around is like thank you Dr. Zizmore <laughs> you know what I mean like my skin was completely messed up thank you Dr. Zizmore you know what I mean like that kind of a thing it's like a very New York kind of commercial pushed him onto the camera yeah it pushed him onto the camera <laughs> go 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 I'll give you some more I'll give you a free fruit peel <laughs> anyway uh, I just came out of that out of my head because I know nothing about this is the second time in a week that Zizmore has come I out I know we mm-hmm. talked about it last night yeah well not on the show you mean in Nastasia's life in Nastasia's life sorry well look I mean like it's a very specific you know specific there's place. there's a you know the, for those of us that ride the subways those kind of like long term like subway ads have a, like they're become, become part of your life in a way that yeah. I think a non-New Yorker wouldn't kind of understand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you're you're smashed. It it used to be. By the way, it's a lot different now on the subway than it was, let's say, forty years ago, thirty, forty years ago. Like when I was a little kid, I was very, very much instructed, don't look at anyone. <laughs> don't look. Don't look at anyone. Stare at the ceiling, stare at the ground. <laughs> Do not make eye contact with anyone. 
Now, you know, now that we, you know, you know, live, you know, in the, in the New York of nowadays, I feel that I could just like stare a hole through someone's forehead and odds are they won't do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but what do I wait for when we take the subway together? So uh, for those of you that have ridden one of the... So in, in New York City, most subway stops are about two minutes apart. Like, give or take, they're all about two minutes. Except there are a few long hauls. So one of the long hauls is between 59th and 125th on the blue and the orange lines. But another fairly long haul is the tunnel under the water uh, that the L train takes as it travels from Brooklyn thankfully back to Manhattan to take me back home. Thank you for explaining why I was late. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so if you happen to go on the L train midday and you're in one of the more center, center cars, there are groups of people that come on. showtime. And they say, it's oh, showtime. Yeah. And then if tourists, there are tourists, and then there's also a friend of the show, Paul Adams, who also, like, obstinately would not move out of the way, just like, he, he went in, like, full cow mode where he was just kind of standing there and, like, not being moved by the... Guy's like, showtime, 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 Paul's pretending like he doesn't know what showtime means. Anyone who has ridden New York City subways knows what... Well, who's ridden a lot, knows that the showtime is. They put on crappy beatbox music. There is always... There's always at least two, sometimes three people, and one plays the hype man while the other one does their kind of routine, which generally involves some form of pole dancing, parkour kind of a situation, and the worst of all is the hat catching. Please, Showtime people, get rid of the hat catching. Not interesting. Maybe the first person that flipped a baseball cap and caught it on their head, maybe that was cool, but now it's almost as bad as bottle flipping. For those of you that remember the bottle flipping trend of a couple of years ago that I was tortured with by my children. Listen, Nastasia Lopez's only goal in life is to get me kicked in the face by a Showtime person. <laughs> now, I have never seen anyone get kicked in the face by a Showtime person, but Nastasia is convinced, convinced that they're going to get on one of these poles and spin around, and one of their, like, you know, sneakers is going to hit me square in the face, and she can't wait. Yeah, this you broke out. my nose! <laughs> you broke my nose! She's like, I can't just want to know it. if you're going to get angry or if you're just going to sit there and stew. Just take it? Yeah, I'm not sure which one's going to happen. What's better? I don't know. Just stand there, like, like coldly staring with blood running down my face? Yeah. What's... Yeah. Well, now you'll be excited, because the thing has finally happened. What thing? Well, Nastasia will be excited. Oh, yeah. I will be bleeding. Are you sure you won't look at her and you'll be like, Nastasia, it happened? Yeah, but the, 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 the people, the thing is, is Nastasia makes me, like, every week makes me get on the most crowded, dumbest car that's nowhere near in where hopes, I need to go. Another thing that you, you might not know, is hopefully we'll do some more food now, but the, the other thing you might not know is that uh, everybody who rides the subway every day knows exactly what car to be in for where they get off, okay? So Nastasia makes me go in not that car, right? Just for the, just for the slim hope that, you know what's going to happen one day? And I don't wanna, I'm not going to spoil, but anyway, one day she's going to push me into the guy's foot. Yeah, me. No, I wouldn't do it. You'd be so mad. You'd punch me. Yeah, it's about the anticipation. I would not punch you, Nastasia. If it ever happens, you'd be so sad. No, you'd have nothing left to live for. No, she would find something else. No, no, I find something (laughs) else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, so what's in this Whole Foods bag? This is from Capri Sun. Capri Sun, the beverage manufacturing corporation. Oh, Capri. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, We have. I was like, good because uh, I've made. I like you know. I've made plenty of fun of Capri Sun, the beverage. To my children, but not, I guess not on air. Oh, speaking of making fun, you know who's supposed to be on air today? 
That's in two weeks. Aura King Salmon was yeah. supposed to be... Now, Aura King Salmon, you, instead of this random conversation we're having about New York City subways, you could have been hearing about aquaculture, Ikejime, fish about anesthesia, it. importing fish from New Zealand, the taste of salmon with different slaughtering techniques, and uh, my son Booker's favorite cured salmon at Russ and Daughters, which happens to be New Zealand King Salmon. Uh, but what happened was this. It was a bunch of people... This is as Nastasia tells it to me. There's a bunch of New Zealanders... They, they like, were hanging out with an American friend, and they're like, I'm not going to do a New Zealand accent because I don't really know what it is. They're like, tell me about this Thanksgiving thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, no one's doing any work from now until the end of the year. They're like, oh, crap on that. I'm not going on that show. Then. No, they'll be here in two weeks. Okay. Um, okay. This- oh, by the way, they also said this. They were like, do you want a list of questions for... No, they wanted a list of questions. They wanted a list of questions, and Nastasia was like, no. We don't do that. <laughs> we just don't do that. I mean, if you would like, I can talk at length about salmon slaughtering techniques. No, can you? Won't, no I mean, he will not. I'm sure and I can come up with no, something. You Wait, is it accurate? Do not, no, no. Do oh, not okay. challenge Dave. Um, radish kimchi. You are. Then mm-hmm. head spike caught 1121. Is it frozen? black sea bass Ooh, and black sea bass. See, black, wait, blackfish or black sea bass? Black sea bass and black sea bass fillets. And then he made nothing Thank fancy. Thank you, Capri Sun. You have to get a name that is less like a crappy well, beverage. Well, he won't give us his real name. Uh, <laughs> homemade nothing fancy carrot cake and pumpkin pie. That's from that new cookbook. What new cookbook? Nothing fancy. Oh. Please pretend you know what I'm talking about. Um... Nastasia's mean to me at all times. Dried lover. What's a dried lover? I don't know. Speaking of dried lover, uh, I I I finally purchased in America. Oh, uh, Laver. Laver. That's Laver. Laver. Seaweed. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Come on. Please pretend like you know what seaweed (laughs) is. Read the thing. Laver. Oh, oh, here's the. Ooh, is that a Kasugai? Does it have a dumb saying on it? I love a a dumb Kasugai saying. This is the. It doesn't have it. It just has a mix. Uh, okay, so listen. Back to China for a minute. Okay. So Nastasi and I are in China, and we go to... And, and that's why we lower the price on the spins all. The sears all. Get this, people. Now, we're hoping this works. Well, let's tell them... Yeah, you got to use the phrase, though. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, like... So, people are like, yo, yo, can you send me a sears all? And the answer is, no, we can't, because Nastasi and I, strangely, don't own any. And... Uh, Amazon buys them from us and takes possession of them in China. Now, we're also taking possession of them, a couple of them now, for this Black Friday thing, because here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. So please, if you know someone that's going to buy it, please make our scam work. We're putting, <laughs> we're putting a small number, a relatively small number, of Searsals available, uh, and it's, it's a big freaking thing, believe it or not, because we haven't... I don't even want to get into it, like how nasty Amazon is with whatever. I don't want to get into it. But like we're putting a we're putting a a, a block of them in, and we're gonna lower our price on like our our prime stuff there, and then Amazon will match it. So what we want you to do is buy Amazon's Searsalls that they've already paid us for. At, technically, technically, yeah, they don't pay us for like you know like five months if they pay us at all. Well, it's too much to get into. So anyway, if you're gonna buy it. Just please click the Amazon one because that'll let us keep the sale going longer. What are we? What are we trying to do to Amazon? Give them the Schuttengorp, <laughs> as my stepfather would say. Sassy's like, "What's the Schuttengorp?" I'm like, "You can picture it. Here's the fist, Schuttengorp." You know what I mean? 
uh, as my stepfather Gerard says. It's another one of the great Gerardisms. <laughs> like uh, if if I, it's you use the S word, but if crapped himself. You're like, you're like, if this, if that, if this, if this, if crapped himself. But he said, you know, if pooped his pants, basically. And then once, I've said this on air before, right? So then, and he says it also with should. I was like, you should have done this, you should have done that. Oh, yeah, should crapped himself. But he says, you know, you know, the S word. And so, and, and then one day I was like, well, it's because, you know, he, he keeps on saying should have, should have, should have, and he never makes it to the bathroom, and he poops in his pants. And he goes, you're too literal, Dave. That's not what it means. I'm like... That's exactly what the hell else can it mean? He's like, it's a figure of speech. I'm like, what the hell else can it mean? He's like, it means if you know, himself. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's alliterative, Dave. Anyway, <laughs> another one is oh. Schuttengorp. <laughs> you give it to him. You have to, if you're going to give someone the Schuttengorp people, you, what you have to do is you have to put your, we don't know if it's going to work. You have to put your, your elbow, like you have to lift your arm up to kind of a level position at chest height with your, uh, your, your dominant hand with your palm flat to the ground and your fingers spread. Then what you do is you go, you bring your elbow down into a gouging kind of uppercut motion and then you make the fist, you make the fist as soon as the hand gets flipped under as you go down into the, you flip your hand over and you make the fist, snap your fist and then up into the shukatangorp. We don't even know if it's Dave just work. demonstrated really quality French horn stop technique. That was he he started with a lovely web and then moved directly into stopped horn. It was beautiful. Yeah, nice. That perfect they actually for some do that to their horns. They That's do. how they do that. Yep. Oh, nice. Right. See, learn something new every day. So hopefully our plan works. Also, the cocktail cube, which we've never. I'm do we did an infomercial on the cocktail cube. We've never pushed it. We're dropping the price to nine ninety nine and. Uh, Sears all we're gonna take down to fifty nine ninety nine, but please buy Amazon. <laughs> yeah, and we uh, have Sears all shirts, but we do. Yeah, but they're at my house. All right. So, Brandy wrote in last week about what? He didn't wear a Sears all shirt. I had it on. It's but radio. It. He's wearing a Sears all shirt. <laughs> He's wearing three Sears all shirts. It's like freaking uh, Mascarada de Plata. If I El Santo, if I pull off one Sears all shirt, there's another underneath, exactly. and another underneath, and another underneath. <laughs> He can never be unsears all shirted. <laughs> oh, thank you for those of you that ordered uh, limpet, sprayed limpet asbestos shirts. Those are shipping, and they'll be there by uh, December third. This episode is brought to you by One Hundred Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718-362-3539. I have a question. This is Brandy. I have a question that I can't seem to find any actual information about, and I'm hoping you can help. Occasionally, I make yogurt or farmer's cheese, uh, and as you can imagine, I end up with quite a bit of kueh. 
Uh, I've read that you can use whey as a substitute for water and baking, but I can't seem to find any insight into how or why. That's also true. Like people are like, you could use it. You're like, but why would I use it? I think it has a tenderizing effect, not as much as milk, but more than water. So like, it's also not adding a bunch of other stuff. So you could probably use in place of water in your, in your quickie breads and it'll probably give, uh, I mean, it'll probably give it, like, uh, some tenderization effect, although I don't really... I can't vouch for that 100%. If you're using an acid-based whey or one that's been kind of lacto-fermented, then it'll probably kickstart any fermentation into the dough, and it's going to acidify it so slightly. So the more acid the dough is, the slacker the gluten's going to be, so you just got to be careful of that. But if you're doing something like a quick bread, it'll make it more tender because the acidity will weaken the gluten structure in the same way that like perhaps a buttermilk would. Uh, it'll also make it so that you would have to use less acid if you were going to add a, a, a basic, this is the acid way, a basic thing like uh, baking soda too. Okay. Uh, I can't seem to find any insight how or why. Also, I'm wondering about the implication of sweet whey. Well, you said from yogurt or acidic whey from cheese. Well, I think maybe those are kind of reversed, right? So sweet whey would be from rennet, if you're renneting cheese, right? So like there's, a, you know, there's many different ways you can make cheese. If you're using rennet, then there hasn't been a lot of kind of bacterial action or acidic action, but with lemon juice or whatever, on the product. So you've curdled it with an enzyme. That would make a completely sweet whey, i.e. non-acidic. And the coolest application for that is to make traditional ricotta cheese. Now the problem, see, everyone who makes ricotta cheese now makes it with whole milk. And that's like the standard ricotta cheese that we kind of get is whole milk ricotta, or that we make is whole, whole milk ricotta. But you can take just whey, as long as it hasn't already been acidified, People still typically add a little bit of milk back to it to kind of increase the creaminess and probably the yield. And then you heat it up to almost boiling to like 195 Fahrenheit. And then as it's cooling, you add acid and you get the ricotta, you skim it off. But you're only going to get like like two cups out of a gallon of, of whey. And I don't know if you can freeze the whey in batches and then thaw, I don't know if you can freeze the whey in batches and then thaw it and make the ricotta. But if you could, that would be kind of a, you save it for a while in zippies and then you make a batch of it uh, when it's done. But it won't, I don't think, work on on a whey that's already been acidified either through kind of lactocultures or through um, the straight use of lemon juice or other acids in the curdling process. Uh, another thing, a lot of people seem to use it as a Kickstarter for lacto-fermentation, but again, I have no experience. Uh, as usual, I have no experience. Um, all right, Carlos wrote in. We don't have anything. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about before? About China. So, so Nastasia, we get it. We're, we're on the plane. Yeah. And so Nastasia shows Little up seats. at the airport, and she's like, nah, Ted went on last night. I don't feel good. I'm like, fine, that's fine. Right? You said I'm hungover. So, like, we're in the airport, and Nastasia is, even though we're about to get on a plane with, the food was terrible, but even though we're get, getting on a plane, Nastasia is hoovering in. French a, onion soup. At, like, at an airport. Okay, what could be more horrific? Anyway, so she's hoovering in this thing, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? I'm about to get, she's like, ah, ah, I'm hungover, I'm fine. So we get on the airplane, and then... We're on the airplane, and she's sitting behind me, which is a ruddy nightmare. Never sit in front of Nastasia because she's like she's like pushing on the back of the chair. It's the a touch screen, <laughs> not a punch screen, Nastasia. So she's pushing it in at the thing of the whole flight, and then like 
halfway through this 15 hour, 15 and a half hour flight, she starts tapping my head and I'm, I'm, I'm about to turn around, I'm about to call the, the flight attendant on her and be like, there's a woman behind me who's lost her mind. She's like, I'm sick, yeah. I'm sick. I was like, oh Jesus, Nastasia. And I know my body and I, and I was sick. Anyway. I don't get the flu, but I got the flu. So she's like, I'm sick. So I'm like, oh my God, because I just have these images because we're, we're not only going to Hong Kong, we're going directly to China that night. And for those of you that ever flown or traveled into Hong Kong or China, you have to go by these people with head detectors where they're taking thermal images of everyone as they go through. And as soon as you get off the plane. And if you have a fever, well, I don't know what happens, but you don't pass through and you don't have a ticket to go back. So like, I don't know. They just put you as a, as Booker used to say, they just crumple you up and throw you in the garbage, pretty much. <laughs> so I told Dave this on the plane, and his reaction was, are you effing kidding me? And then you got up, went into your backpack, yeah, yeah. and threw some Tylenol at me. I was like, take all of these Tylenol and get your fever down so that we can get into the dang country. So then the entire time, Nastasia was not her usual chipper self, but she was still game to to uh, go out, but she she stayed sick almost the entire trip. Yeah. So like from culinary stand highlight. So we spent most of our time in Shenzhen, and Shenzhen, for those of you that don't know, is a town that forty years ago was a tiny fishing village, and then as soon as Hong Kong, as soon as the the UK Hong Kong handoff happened, uh, China built up Shenzhen into this mega like like trading city and manufacturing hub. So it's all only 40 years old. So there are very few locals. What that means is is that because everyone's come in, they have actually, even though it's not really, like it's not an authentic city in the fact that it, it didn't grow like a city does, uh, it has some good food in it because people from all over China have like lived there. So, you know, because Nastasia was sick, I was walking around doing a lot of, you know, street food kind of a situation. And the hotel we stayed in I was pretty close to the street food. I stayed in the room food. for an hour, Dave. I like Lies. So anyway, so like, so well, we'll get to it. So, uh, I, you know, you've had a, you, uh, Phil, you had a John Bing before? The, I The Chinese crepe? No. I had maybe the best one that I've had on the streets of Shenzhen, because it's typically a street food. And uh, so for those of you that don't know, you take, uh, don't make crinkling noises, please. I just heard you over my earphones making a crinkling noise. Why would you? This is like, she's like a, you're like the Shaggy. Children, you, children, my children, and Shaggy. I didn't do that. It's like, I'm watching you. I'm hearing you and watching you. Anyway, uh, so this lady was using a, a crepe maker, which looked a lot like the French crepe makers, and a raplette, which is the French kind of crepe maker doodad. So she takes this mixture of mung bean and regular flour. I think mung bean's a good word. What do you think, Phil? Can you say it? Mung bean. Oh, that's mm. nice. 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 <laughs> Nastasia was like, before I didn't want mung beans, but now I do. Yeah. Now I do. So she takes a, this kind of thin crepe batter, replets it out real thin. And at first I was like, yo, your crepe game is weak because it didn't spread as well as like a traditional French crepe. Because a French crepe, when it goes out onto the crepe maker, is a thing of beauty. Like the, the, the swirl. You've seen it, right, mm-hmm. Nastasia? When they swirl that crepe, make, that crepe on, a good crepe maker, there's no tears, there's no holes, there's no double swipe. They're just like, they ladle it in and whoop, and around it goes, and there you go, crepe. What is, what is it that they do, Dan? Whoop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so it's like, you know, there it is. So, 
this lady, though, I completely misjudged her skills. Her skills were soup dupe on point. So she does the... It takes her, like, two swipe arounds to get the, the, the mung bean uh, crepe all the way out. Then, in, instead, here's the fun part. For those who've never had one, here's the fun part of the whole kind of McGillicuddy is... But I've only seen people do it with kind of pre-beaten egg mixtures. She takes the egg out and goes, crack, cracks the whole egg onto the top of the crepe, onto the onto the uh, raw side of the crepe, right, after it sets a little bit. Then she wipes just the white around the entire crepe, leaving the yolk intact, takes the replette, breaks the yolk, wipes the yolk as a separate layer over the top of the entire thing, then goes chackity, chackity, chackity with uh, sesame seeds over it, flips the crepe, then puts on the sauce and the crumpled up uh, crunchy cracker. And the crunchled up crunchy cracker, cilantro, lettuce, and some sort of mayonnaise sour cream, whatever, mayonnaise thing on top of that, and folds it all in. But it's the combination of the crunchy on the inside of the soft that makes it the big money move. It's the big money move. She's like, do you want fillings? I was like, no, I want it just like that. Later, I'll get the fillings. But there was no later. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, there, was, there was no later. Then we had it again at the hotel, and the hotel guy was trying to be all game about it. But I was like, you're going to be better when you become a 70-year-old woman. And you're doing this on the street every day, yes. right? Yes. It was fine. But uh, so that's the one that really has me thinking the most about stuff that I could do because I own a crepe maker. I now have three sacks of mung bean flour in my house. But uh, I'll, let, I'll let you know, if I, uh, guys, if I, if I do anything with it. But then when Nastasia and I get back to Hong Kong, and After by the way... a hellish ride. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. They, like, China just shut the border down. They're like, only Shenzhen people can get through now, because we were in Dongguan that day, which is outside of Shenzhen. They're like, crap on Dongguan people. And so the guy's like, okay, crap on me, turns off the car, and we just sit there like we're dead for an hour and a half. <laughs> on the side of the road. On the side of the road, like jerks. Until they're like, okay, non-Shenzhen people can go again. And then we went through the border, and we made it in real late. We went to a hotel. Hong Kong people, because of the, the with the protests, is dead. Like, we were at a bunch of bars, and, like, the, the F&B is down, like, 50%. Hotels are, like, at, like, like, very low occupancy. Like, you know, they're at least 50% below where they normally are. But the thing is, I, f- I feel uh, bad about it because as a tourist, you know, even a business tourist like us, did you feel unsafe at all? No. I didn't feel unsafe at all. I mean, the... The, the only th- thing is that, um, you know, you might not be able to go to a particular neighborhood. And, like, once or twice, there have been protests at the airport, so some flights were canceled. But I was not ever in any danger. So, like, you know, I feel like in the... Well, I don't know, I'm not going to get into it, but I feel like in the media, like, this kind of, like, the violence has been overblown... And so people are afraid to go. So someone wrote an article where they're like, this is it's so ridiculous because, you know, there's this whole, it's, it's a big thing over there. But they're like, I went to Hong Kong Disneyland and there was no one at the rides. Like, that's what you got out of it? Like, this island's in turmoil and what you get out of it is I get to go to Space Mountain without a wait? <laughs> I was like, you know, yeah, way, to, way, to, way to feel for people, brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but uh, I, I, you know, I will say that don't be worried about traveling to Hong Kong and go, if you're there, go to restaurants and go to hotels. So, Nastasia, we're about to go to the night market because, uh, but the night market was going to close in what? 
25 minutes. No, like an hour, but we were a half hour away. Yeah. And Nastasi's like, I don't feel well, I don't want to go. So I was like, well, there's a three Michelin star restaurant in the lobby of our, of our hotel. It's the only three Michelin star Cantonese restaurant. So Nastasi is like, Let's do it. I'm wearing, well, you're like, I'm wearing a hoodie. I'm like, eh, who cares? <laughs> so, like, we show up, and because uh, of the fact that everything's down, there was only, like, two, two people in the entire restaurant. So we, we, did the, we did the whole tasting. And I'm here to say that even when it's three Michelin stars, the people who do the full-on Cantonese food don't like salt. Mm-hmm. It was the least salt. And, like, it takes me, people, I've said this before on the air, it takes me at least a week to get used to the low salt level if I'm eating, like, mainly Cantonese stuff. You know what I mean? Stuff that if you served me in the United States, I would just drench in soy so that I could get some salt into it. But, like, what do you think about the salt level stuff? It was not that. It was, yeah. It was, it was good, low. but... It was low. Low salt. You wish there was more salt, right? Yes. Because you're a salty individual. And then we went to a bar, a singing bar. Oh, my God. And we paid for drinks for the band because our credit cards started working again. Yeah, so we were, in, <laughs> we were in China, and we don't have control over our own credit card. Aww. Don't get into it, Dave. Aww. So they shut down our credit card. So like I had some like old rem and B's. So we're like going off of like whatever I had in my wallet, like trying to like scrape around and you know make do. And they turned our credit card on on the last night. Yeah. So we we yeah we go to this bar and there's Who is they like, by the way like they turned our credit card on the bank just the bank. <laughs> well yes we won't get into it. So yeah we bought a round for the uh, for the band which feels terrific. <laughs> If you're if you're in a bar, right, and there is a band playing, right, like a small bar, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's not like you know, it, I mean, it wasn't fifteen dollar cocktails or thirty dollar. It was like you know, we bought them. We're like around for the bar. They're appreciative, much more appreciative than those other jackweeds that were sitting two tables over that just kept screaming requests that they didn't know. You know what I mean? No, it's a class move. Yeah, it's right. A class move. As a musician, you can appreciate yeah. this. You want some drinks? It's yeah. a long night. Yeah, it's a long night. It makes you feel appreciated. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, is that, like, if you're the kind of musician who won't have anything to drink during your set, you can always postpone it until the set's over. You know what I mean? You could tell the bartender, I'll have mine after the set. Not one of those guys waited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, they, they yeah. did. Not one of those people waited. Not yeah. even the drummer. Yeah, no, no, no. Every drummer thinks they can drum when they're drunk. They can't. Very few people. John Bonham. I mean... Very few people are John Bonham. In, in fact, John Bonham's not John Bonham anymore. That's correct. Cause, it's getting dark. Because he's dead. Yeah. Carlos writes in, I'm looking to extend the shelf life of cookies and brownies for up to 90 days. So far, uh, I found that the uh, water activity, or l- big A little W, for those of you that are into searching for symbols in the internets, uh, is a significant factor. That's true. Uh, I've heard claims that invert sugars help with this. How does this work? So remember, Phil, the things, because there's a whole litany of things that I have to kind of go back and address, right? Uh, This takes me off. What? Nothing. (laughs) She's taking a break. I'm focusing now, Dave. Yeah. Now she's taking a break? (laughs) Yeah. What kind of terrible thing are you drinking? Oh, it's from anger class. Nastasia goes to a class Mm -hmm. about anger. I feel that she doesn't need this. It's like screaming yoga. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but lots of... But you don't have to bend yourself into pretzel shapes, right? So uh, someone commented on our uh, Black Friday video, which, by the way, go on the Instagram or Twitter or YouTubes and uh, look for the Black Friday video and see it. Nastasia, as per normal, 
Doesn't say anything, but she is paying attention. <laughs> yeah, because Rebecca was going to get hit in the head. Everyone's well, like, first of all, I throw a spinzol. And everyone's like, what happened to the spinzol? <laughs> I was like, I embedded it in Rebecca's head. So it's fine. I really wanted to see the like off-camera video of just Rebecca catching stuff. So I have yeah, it. I have it. The issue was this. like We shot it in what used to be my apartment. It's now my, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's apartment. But Rebecca didn't step far enough onto camera to be, so she's obscure. Like, she had also had this complicated headgear on, this reindeer headgear, and like, and like a very highly patterned dress. So it was, so rotoscoping is the technique of going in frame by frame and like making a mat so that I can drop the mat out if you can't key someone out with a color key. And it was impossible. It was very hard to rotoscope her out. So if any of you guys are like rotoscope experts, we can get Rebecca back into this commercial. Or we can just show them the original video. But it doesn't work because it's too busy. There's too much other stuff going on. And only Nastasia, who cares more about the inside joke than selling anything. It is funnier with Rebecca in it. You don't like the magnets on the fridge in the back. It's not magnets. There's like a Batman logo. There's like... It's a bunch of things, a sink. It's like, there's no place to write over because it's like super busy and there's no, there's no way to make her. And she only, just half of her like face creeps in on the edge in and out. But it's so awesome. Okay. Well, you know, maybe we'll do a, uh, a B roll where you can put it on your stories of what it looks like or throwing the things, but you know, the unedited version. Uh, it's a crazy person. So we've got. Brownie shelf life. <laughs> oh, wait, how do we get into this? Oh, she was paying attention. Well, yeah. How do we get into that? How do we get back on the on the video? Paying attention. Oh, paying attention. She said I was paying attention in the video. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Uh, pH is another important factor, though. With baked goods, I'm not sure how I would uh, adjust the pH and still make the product taste good because you'd have to make it acidic. Uh, also, as far as additives go, most seem to be are reported to have carcinogenic properties. Mostly recorded by a holes, though. So, like, you know. I, I mean, you have to say which preservatives you mean exactly. Um, some things are real problems and some things are overblown. Uh, I just listened to the UR episode where you spoke about potassium. P- potassium. Say potassium. Potassium. Yeah. Potassium sorb. Oh, sorbate's a good word. Say it. Sorbate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Phil, needs to, Phil needs to move back to New York and just like. Say sorbate over and over again. Yeah, Matt, you gotta. If only I could monetize Matt, this. You gotta like hire Phil to do your like Heritage Radio Network voiceovers. He could do them from the studio in California. Like, say, say uh, this week on Meet and Three. Um, this week on Meet and Three. What do you think? Hired. Super <laughs> hired. Yeah, right? It's like, uh, how many of you have seen uh, Daddy's Home with Mark Wahlberg and uh, I think Will you were Ferrell? literally the only person in the theater for the entire run of the show. Uh, <laughs> first of all, everyone has seen that. Yeah. The movies he's, he likes are... Uh, I took my son, Dax, who wanted to go see it, but Mark Wahlberg... Uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil anything, but Mark Wahlberg... Don't worry, we're not... <laughs> Mark Wahlberg comes in... Say hi to your mother for me. And, uh, well, that's kind of what it was like. It's yeah. like Mark Wahlberg's the ex and comes in, and he's just cooler than Will Ferrell and better looking, cooler. Will Ferrell works at a radio show, and Mark Wahlberg comes in and out of nowhere gives the most amazing, like, uh, what's the what's the little jingle thing called for a radio show? Like, that little, you know, like, Weeby 108? Like that. Like, what's that? Call sign? Okay, yeah. He just gives, like, the best one ever, like, super... And Will Ferrell's like, I, I hate this. And then all of a sudden, just from playing that, the residuals on that, 
he made more money than Will Ferrell made like for his entire <laughs> career. Anyway, great stuff. Uh, you could be that man, Phil Bravo. We can yeah, only hope. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, the cookies and brownies are for cannabis. We're still talking about this question. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cookies and brownies are for cannabis edibles, uh, and I hope to help people with serious illnesses, and therefore I want to stay as natural as possible while maintaining the best quality I can. Any little bit of help will be much appreciated. Carlos, now listen. Listen. Carlos, the main thing you have to worry about, and this is what every everyone confuses these things. In fact, I still have, I have people confusing this almost weekly. To the extent that people talk to me, they confuse this. When you talk about shelf life or how long something lasts, there are two separate problems. Two separate problems. One is safety, and the other is quality, right? So a lot of people mistake the difference between kind of those two things. Now, um, and there's also various failure mechanisms that can happen, some of which address quality and some of which address um, uh, safety, right? So here are the four problems that you're going to have with a cookie and or a brownie. Now, a cookie is going to last a lot longer than a brownie because it is typically lower in moisture, right? But you're going to have th these problems. One, molds and other kind of yeasts. And that's what your thing like your uh, ascorbate, sorry, your uh, potassium sorbate is going to be uh, for. And the difference between those two things, sorbic, uh, potassium sorbate is just a sorbic acid salt, right? So it's kind of purified and it's a salt of that. Easier to use, easier, easier to buy. Frankly, uh, the same crap, uh, right? So that's what you're going to use to inhibit things like a mold. But bear in mind, you're not going to get mold on a product if there's not a lot of moisture in it. So if most of the softness of your product is coming from fat, let's say butter, right, and very little of it is coming from, a from uh, the water from egg, then you're going to get very little mold. In fact, when was the last time you saw like a super dense fudgy brownie mold? You don't really see it that often. Uh, you'd see it on breads, but typically on high moisture breads. That's why you won't see a lower moisture bread uh, mold on you. But a little bit of sorbet will probably help kill down on the on that mold another problem you're going to have is rancidity so a lot of what goes wrong in a cookie or a brownie especially something that's based on butter right the thing about shortbread which has a lot of butter in it like is allowed to go is is a long-term product it has almost zero moisture it's just kind of flour held together with butter and, and that tends to protect against rancidity and plus the flavor of a shortbread is okay when the butter is changed a little bit but a lot of the off flavors you're going to get in baked goods over a long period of time is going to be rancidity. So to stop rancidity, if your people are paying a lot of money, which they will for a cannabis edible, is put some oxygen scavenging packaging in, or think of even doing a modified atmosphere packaging where you pump like an inert atmosphere into the package so that, um, you know, if the water activity is low enough, obviously bacteria aren't going to grow, uh, such that you're inhibiting uh, rancidity. Another thing is moisture migration. So in a cookie, things go stale, uh, and things, things either go stale or they go too wet one way or the other, depending on kind of 
uh, what, what the moisture balance is between the crust and the inside. So for that is choosing something that has a relatively uniform moisture content throughout. It's going to make it easy to keep the moisture content the same. And packaging it in an airtight fashion so there's no moisture migration in or out is going to make your life easier. The higher the fat content, obviously, the lower the staling will be because there's kind of less structure there going on. Or if it's a cookie that has very little water in it, there's also going to be very little starch retrogradation because, in fact, the, the starch is hardly ever functionalized at all. And so that's not going to go stale as long as the moisture doesn't kind of um, leak, leak in and out of it. So that's definitely a, a moisture management problem. Ooh, it's not recognized my I, oh, there. Um, so you have your staling, your moisture management, your rancidity, and your mold. Those are your main, main kind of issues, and I think they're all fairly easy to deal with with uh, packaging requirements and just making sure that you don't have a lot of um, kind of residual moisture left. Is that a okay answer? Yes. I had something, I had something else that was, I had something else to, I had something else relating to packaging cookies and brownies. Nastasi and I once had to vacuum down a whole boatload of cookies that we had made for the troops. That was a damn nightmare. But the cookies lasted forever because they were vacuum packed. Remember that, Stas? Yeah. We can talk about that on the Christmas episode. Yeah, yeah. Classic I had a I had a good packaging idea. Anyway, Sean Lewis wrote in. Hi, Nastasia. Uh, I submitted a question. Uh, I'm coming back into the cocktail world and would love to see if Dave is giving classes. I theoretically am giving classes, but uh, in other words, I'm still on the FCI's website, but I am not. I am, You're not teaching classes. I want to teach classes, and, okay, and Greg Bohm classes. wants me to teach classes on the... Uh, Who? Greg Bohm, partner at... I thought you were going to say what you thought. Anyway. Um, all right, and there's another way question I will get to in one second. Here. I mixed up a batch of milk wash clarified punch and bottled it last week. It was a very vari uh, variation on Philadelphia Fish House punch with pear, peach, pear, and fall spices. Fall spices. What do you think about false spices? I love false spices. Yeah? Is that basically mean pumpkin pie spice? I think so. It's pumpkin pie spice, but it's also the, you know, it's like the, what's the thing that you boil in the house and you make it all like, ooh. What? Huh? You Cloves? Know. Yeah. That yeah. stuff. Uh, I simmered the syrup with ginger. Oh, it was very tasty. It went well, but I made one big mistake. I simmered the syrup with ginger. I noticed that ginger syrup was cloudy, as I expected it to be, but I wrongly guessed it would clear up with the milk washing. Nah, man. Starch. It's very hard to trap on a starch. Starch is a pain. You can wait a long time to settle it out, or you can use a very, very sharp knife to cut your ginger and then not stir it or beat it up, and then it won't throw off as much cloud. I mixed the milk punch ingredients, added them to the milk, and let the whole mix sit for two hours, stirring occasionally to let the casein curds mop everything up. That's good practice. Then I spun it out in a spins off for about two, two hours. That's a long time, man. Two hours, long time. Long time. Too long. Too long. You're going to evaporate too much of your uh, product. Like 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Uh, then spun it out and the spins off for about two hours and drew some test glasses to check the particles. Uh, I couldn't see even the teensiest speck of pulp, and yet the drink was still cloudy. Probably the starch. I probably I ran the centrifuge, uh, centrifuge liquid through a Chemex filter, and Shiwan ran it, uh, and it ran through quick and clean as water, but it was still cloudy. Uh, next day, I made another ginger syrup, let it cool, treat it with pectinex, and let it sit. Pectinex won't kill the starch. When I came back, I was dismayed to see no break at all. Yeah, cloudy. Yeah, starch. Those are all my available clarifying techniques at home. I don't have any wine-finding agents. So my question is this. Wine-finding agents won't work on starch. Is there something about ginger syrup that cannot be clarified or just, just muck it up? A related milk punch question. Is milk punch shelf-stable because the casing curves the track and bind to the enzymes 
uh, that produce bitter limonin? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, I've made a cordial that was pretty limonin protected because it was heated. I don't know if milk, I don't think the milk's gonna pull all of it out, but the only way to see is to see whether it goes. Uh, stability is another thing. Clear milk punch will go cloudy after a week or so because the, case, the uh, whey proteins will settle out and you can re-spin it. Here's what you ought to do. Do your initial spin, put the sucker into bottles, tall bottles, tall, tall things. Let it sit. Uh, do you remember Epic, the song Epic from, uh, from uh, oh, was it Faith No More? Anytime someone says, let it sit, what is it? Let it sit, what is it? Mike Patton, anyone? I'm Mr. Bungle, sure anyone? Ha- I mean, Mr. Bungle, absolutely, but. Yeah, okay. You don't know. famous Mr. Bungle song. Uh, well, no, but it wasn't. That was Faith No More. So oh, right, Mike sorry. Patton was in Mr. Bungle, went in, the, went in the Faith No More. Faith No More was like, people actually like this. We could make a lot of money. And he's like, no, I'm going back to Mr. Bungle. So he went back to Mr. Bungle and Faith No More kind of fell through the cracks. Anyway, you let it sit for a long time, the starch will settle out. Uh, and it'll settle out a lot harder and stronger than it will if you haven't spun out the majority of the solids first. Then pour that, I'm talking like a week. Don't touch it. Then like, don't, Touch it. Don't move the container. Make sure the container is round. Then gently pour all of the clear stuff off in the top. Then you'll have a small amount at the bottom that you can try to respin or just let it go, but you'll get a pretty high yield of very clear stuff. It's just going to take you a week. Uh, that's what I would recommend doing. So for Thanksgiving, uh, I am going to do my uh, thing where I cut the backbone out of the bird, rip the main bones out, leave most of the bones, take a stuffing plug, I'm going to cook the stuffing plug in the oven so it's nice and hot. Then I'm going to I'm going to take and I'm going to wrap the bird into some sort of like crazy thing. I'm going to shove the the stumps of the inside of the legs against a hot pan for a while to start the cooking on the inside there and then dr- I'm going to maybe air dry the skin. Then I'm going to drape the the turkey over the hot stuffing plug, put it back into the freaking oven and then cook it from both sides. Cooking my bird from both sides now. And, gonna, and then it's going to come in and we're going we're gonna to have my, my turkey. That's how I'm doing my turkey. No one called in any, any questions, but I do have... If you're I have do- a question, Dave. What is it? No. Ten, five minutes. Ten what minutes. is it? We got to go. I'm going to be very quick. Okay. Was it the pulque? Mexico City. We were doing fine. Right. Felt great the entire time. Right. Washed out. Explain washed out pulque. In the water. Pulque is a kind of like milky tequila adjacent but it's like a milky beverage that is from fermented i guess it's like the frass that's left over after you like squeeze out the no no no, no. it's separate the they, have, they have a different agave that they tap and then they take the stuff out of it so was it the, this is the question with water content uh-huh. was it the pulque i was doing fine yeah pulque last day yeah it was a it was a terrible week dave uh, a terrible well, week after well that. like mentally or butt wise i mean butt wise yeah well um <laughs> So agave has a lot of inulin in it. And so, uh, by the way, for those of you that don't know, uh, Phil Bravo was the person that Nastasia Lopez uh, sun-choked in the butt. Oh, that is also true, yeah. Yeah. She gave him a bunch of raw sliced sun-choke and was like, enjoy this delicious salad. And uh, I would bet, I don't know, I've never had the pleasure of having a lot of pulque, but I would bet it's the inulin. I would bet that there's some sort of residual inulin in the pulque that is messing with the butt. Yeah, because the thing about inulin... So the answer is, it was the pulque. 
Probably. Like, there's, I don't know. I've never had pulque. I, I, I didn't know you were going to ask this. I could have looked tasty. up. I could have, yeah, I could have looked up residual inulin content in pulque if, you know, if I had known. But the, the issue is, is that the main, sh- the main carbohydrate in that is used to ferment agave beverages is inulin. Inulin is a, um, is a fructose uh, polysaccharide, like a fructose polymer. So it's, it's broken down to fructose, but your body can't break down inulin. But you know who can? The bacteria in your gut. And so... He doesn't take uh, probiotics. It doesn't matter. There's no... Wait, 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 wait. Assuming you have bacteria in your gut, your bacteria can turn that inulin into like gas, gas, gas. Gas. And I think if you eat an, enough of it, you probably get accustomed to it, and like maybe you develop, uh, like you know, gut bacteria that don't produce gas when they're digesting inulin. But uh, for most of us, it makes for a nasty, a nasty farty, uh, pain, a painful fart too. Like we ended this on a high note. You're welcome, no, Dave. No, no, he's still going. All right, so oh, listen, listen. But, but wait, we have two, we have two things. Oh, so normally, uh, I I'm gonna end, I end with the classics in the field, but. Today we're we're gonna end with uh, so we're not I'm not gonna talk about it. And when classics in the field is done, Nastasi and I are allowed exactly once per year. Phil Bravo will sing the Grinch song for us, mm. and so he's gonna. It, it's like it, it's his version of piping us in and out. He's gonna do the the Grinch song, and now that Thurl Ravencroft, the original singer, people think Boris Karloff sang the original Grinch. Did not. Boris Karloff was the voice of the Grinch, but the, the singing voice of the Grinch was Thurl Ravencroft, which, is there a better name ever, Phil, than Thurl Ravencroft? There is not. Right. So Thurl, Thurl Ravencroft was, uh, that's baritone, right? Is, it, is there something below it's baritone? Bass, bass baritone. Bass baritone, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Phil Bravo does an amazing uh, Thurl Ravencroft uh, Grinch, which he will pipe us out with in a minute. And so I'm going to do classics in the field, and then we're going to do Phil. So I'm going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving now. And uh, are we back next Tuesday, Saz? Yeah. Are we back next Tuesday? So write us in with your Thanksgiving nightmares, how you burnt your turkey, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, ready? Classics in the field, yeah! All right, so today's Classics in the Field is not a cooking book, but there is information in it that is uh, cooking-related. So for those of you that have hung around me for any length of time, and Nastasia hates talking about this, I believe that every human being should learn to tie a bunch of knots. I believe that it's just a skill you should have. I think you should have a knife with you almost all the time, because what if you should need to cut something, like a box... Uh, and I think you should have a bunch of knots, and knots are the kinds of things you need to kind of practice. Now, if you're going to get a modern knot book, go get one of Joffrey Budworth or Dead pa- De- uh, uh, Pawson's books on um, on knots. They're great. Uh, they're very good. But there's only one book of knots that everyone can agree is like the Ur reference, like the the magic maestro reference of knots. It came out in 1944. It's the Ashley Book of Knots, and it's, uh, it was put out by a guy named Cliff, uh, Clifford Warren Ashley. He was born in New Bedford, by the way, a whaling town. You been to New Bedford? I have not. You have not? I have not been to New Bedford. So that means you haven't gone to the whaling museum? I have not gone to the whaling museum yet. So, Nastasia, have you been to the whaling museum? Yep. Did you love it? Yep. It's also like the Herman Melville town. She hasn't actually been. She's just saying that to get me off her back. Have you That's actually correct. been? I've been to a whaling museum in Sag Harbor, but not the one in New Bedford. you got to go to the New Bedford Whaling Museum. The amazing thing about the New Bedford Whaling Museum is, is that in the 70s when I went, it was pro, still pro-whaling. And now it's very anti-whaling. 
but it's still kind of amazing. And there's, uh, there's like little dribblings of Herman Melville all around the town. Great place. So anyway, uh, Clifford Ashley was uh, there. He was an artist, but he went around collecting knots. And he wrote the most amazing knot book uh, that you're ever going to see called Ashley Book of Knots. It's, I don't think it's available on the web because it's still in print all of these years later. Um, he wrote it, if, published it in 1944 and had a stroke in 1945. So it was his last work. He didn't even get a chance to, uh, cha- to change it. But he kind of pioneered the art of drawing knots and how to make them. But the cool thing about it is for the better part of 40 years, he traveled the, the earth looking for knots in all places. So he has a section, and a lot of it is nautical, uh, as, he, as he says, although the sailor may be responsible for nine-tenths of all recorded knots, he can hardly claim, to, it's early times, so it's, they use he, you know, it's 1944, uh, claim to be the originator of the first knot, for primitive people learned to hunt and fish before they ever took to water. I, I, de- I the last part is still gendered. I degendered it because I can't stand to read it in fully gendered form. Uh, but he has this section on occupational knots, and it's amazing because he just goes through a bunch of uh, occupations. For instance, knots for the archer, the artilleryman, the artist, the angler, the automobilist, which I guess there's still a word in the 40s for the automobilist, the baker. The pretzel knot is too widely known to require much description, but there are several varieties, and often nowadays the pretzels are stamped out by machinery instead of being tied, which is a shame, even in the 40s. My God, the stamped pretzel is an abomination. Pretzels are twisted. People, pretzels are twisted. A stamped pretzel is a sad pretzel. It's not a pretzel at all. It's a garbage. It's a cookie. It's garbage. It's a biscuit. Ugh. Uh, the giant pretzel knot is from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. It is about 10 inches long. It goes on and on for this. Uh, the basket maker, the bell ringer, the boot maker, the burglar. Uh, I would do nothing to encourage the activities of this arch enemy of society, but I will urge them to consider the awful sequence of the following knots with all its direful implications. So he talks about what knots burglars can use. But then we go to the butcher. The butcher's knots are required in tying up boned and rolled roasts and in preparing corned beef and salt pork for pickling. After passing the end of twine around the meat with a, a simple noose of some sort is made, etc., etc., but then goes through listing that he has gone to every butcher shop that he can find in the Washington, D.C. area where he's living at the time and rates every single butcher's knot that you can find. And he's like, He'll say things like, uh, I don't, it's like there's a, there's a lot, so I don't know if I can make it, make it through it. But then he, he goes through making fun of uh, people who use granny knots. He's like, he's like, that knot, maybe that knot would work for a fresh roast, but it's not going to work for a corned beef knot. You can't re-pull up the string in this one. So if you want a very long-winded, like three-page small-type exegesis into different kinds of knots. And what he very, very kindly puts a star, an Ashley star, next to the butcher knot of choice that he chooses, which I can maybe put on my uh, Instagram later. He goes through and tells you which knot he believes you should use. But no one has gone through every occupation looking for the knots the way that Ashley has. And if you are ever serious about being a human being, I recommend getting the Ashley Book of Knots and at least looking up the knots that fit your your occupation, if nothing else. Learn to tie at least 15 good knots. Get yourself a good, get yourself a good hitch. Get yourself a good, uh, you know, get, get yourself a good bend, which is how you tie two things together. Uh, get yourself a good stopper knot at the very minimum! Get yourself a good loop knot, people! 
Alpine Butterfly. Good one. Anyway, fast to tie. Uh, just read it. Enjoy it. And if you can't afford to buy it because it's still expensive, get something from Des Pawson or, uh, or Geoffrey Budworth. Anyway, that has been Classics in the Field. Happy Thanksgiving. And now we have Phil Bravo doing the Grinch. Do I have any backup or no? No. What do you mean? There's I need some. Be, it's not no. I need an intro. How does it? How does the intro go? I don't know. It's like a big, big band, like. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. I think you did your. Uh, what is it? Schuttengorp. Schuttengorp. But it wasn't an angry one. I, I didn't make the fist. I just did the... I did this. Okay, it's true. But we can close on... <laughs> You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Nice. You're welcome. Strong, strong. The Grinch. The Grinch. Happy Thanksgiving. Cooking issues. Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.